We turn in God's Word this morning to the Gospel according to Luke, the 10th chapter. The Gospel according to Luke. As I was looking through the various M people that we will be covering over the course of the summer and laying out uh, preaching schedule and so on, um, realizing that Today we were going to be honoring our graduates. And thinking about and praying about uh, this particular passage, I, I, I really believe that um, this is particularly applicable to you as graduates. Um, and whether it's eighth, whether it's high school, whether it's college, uh, this message these words of Scripture have something to say to you this morning. And I hope you, you take them to heart and to realize uh, the extent to which God is indeed calling you in, um, through His Word. But true for all of us. It's not just for graduates. This comes to us all as a good reminder that it is not the busyness of life that we engage in, that saves. We are not saved by our activities. We are saved through the one thing that is necessary. Let's hear God's word as it comes to us then at the end of the 10th chapter of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to read starting at verse 38 and read through verse 42, although I would encourage you because we're going to look at a follow-up passage in the Gospel of John to leave your scriptures open. Let's hear God's living word to us. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Your word tells us of real people who lived, real people who had a love for you, but yet needed your instructions, your words, to learn how to live as you would have us live. May we hear your words spoken through Pastor Bob, that we may live our lives this week praising and glorifying your name. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. First thing I want us to note about this woman by the name of Martha is that she is a busy lady. She is a busy woman. 
She is active. She's not certainly not lazy. She's not sitting on her hands doing nothing. She is going, 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 going. I want you to note three things in regards to that busyness that Scripture notes about her. First thing is, is that she welcomed. She welcomed Jesus, and as we read it in context, it would appear his disciples as well into her home. A traveling band of at least 13, most likely more than that, and if you include her own family, we are now suddenly in the situation of needing to prepare for 15 folks. Yet, she welcomed them. We read of no question in that regard. There is not even a second thought. There's no hesitation on her part. Martha is a welcoming type person. Very hospitable. Sure, you need a place? Come. Now, some commentators believe that, that there might be some sort of an idea that Jesus might have sent people ahead to, to tell them they were coming. Whether or not that's true or not, that this particular text here in Luke certainly doesn't necessarily answer that. It seems to be something Jesus did on other occasions. Whether it happened here, we don't know. But it wouldn't change the context of the fact that she welcomed them. Sure, come. We know that often Jesus traveled, not just with his disciples, but there was this group of women that went along with them as well. So now perhaps we've swelled the number to over 20. Sure, come on in. I want you to note as well that she welcomed them into her house. Scripture almost as it were is taking, isn't it, a, a highlighter and saying, I want you to note this. She didn't welcome them into Lazarus's house. She didn't welcome them into Mary's house. She didn't welcome them into Lazarus, Mary's, and her house. It's welcomed them into her house. Scripture is designating the fact that this home belonged to her. Which is an unusual circumstance in that day and age. And one wonders what are all the family dynamics are that are going on here in the background. Why is it that it's her house? Where's Lazarus? What, what's he doing? How come he doesn't own a house? How come he's living with his two sisters? What's up with this whole family anyway? We are not told any of that background. I came across a, a very interesting little piece of, of information. Remember when Jesus has the encounter with the rich man? Okay, and, and says to him, you know, you need to sell everything. Give it to the poor. There are some commentators who believe that that rich man is Lazarus. Which really sets this kind of in an interesting circumstance. If he's the rich man... Yet it's her house. What does that tell you about her? Well, we could probably read a lot into it, but I think the one thing that we can, we can look at for sure is that Scripture is designating her as the head of this house. Now, not in the sense of the biblical headship 
but in the sense of the one who actually runs the place. It's her house. And the, the rest of the story sort of bears that out, doesn't it? That she is the one running the house. She welcomed them. She's busy. They live in a town called Bethany, which is only about three miles from Jerusalem. Not very far when one stops to think about it. Probably that it's less than three miles as a crow flies from here to Mars. So they're, they're not that far away from the city of Jerusalem. Busy, busy. You know, how much easier it could have been to just say, Lord, you know, Jerusalem's only three more miles. Walk a little bit further. There'll be plenty of places there, probably larger places. Much better. There, there's that upper room place. Maybe you can make use of that and get rid of all the work and the busyness that this entails. No. Scripture tells us a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. We not only know that she welcomed, but she is very, very busy serving. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, what goes into that? Now, we, we're probably, when we think about the serving, we're probably just thinking about the food. Now, we'll come to that, but understand in, in Middle Eastern way of living, there, there's much more than the food part that goes into this. I mean, first of all, you got a group of 20 who are coming in who need their feet washed. So you got to find basins, you got to find the towels, you got to get the water. There's a lot of work that goes involved in just getting them across the threshold into the door. She is distracted with much serving because, you see, that's part of the serving. It's not just the food. It's the foot washing. But then you also suddenly have 20 people, 15 people showing up to your house. You need places for them to sit. You've got to be hospitable. So you've got to make the arrangements. You've got to arrange the place. Now you can perhaps begin thinking about the food. What should I serve? How much should I serve? How many dishes should I serve? Should I just have one meal, one food, one meat? Should I have two meats? Should I have three meats? How many salads must there be? How many people are there? How much do they each eat? How many loaves of bread do I have to get ready? All of this work, all of this serving, then you've got to figure out the arrangements for where they're going to sit to eat. How's that going to work? Well, let me just put it this way. How many of you right now, ladies, okay, if I were to say, hey, I don't know if you saw it or not, but in the narthex we've got a group of 15 people that have just come in um, they just held up a sign that said, need place for Sunday dinner. How many of you right now would say, yup, come, I got it all set. You go, <laughs> You're probably thinking, I know who might be willing to do that, but it's probably not your hand that's shooting up. There's just too much work involved. 
I don't even have a table big enough for 15 people. I don't even have 15 trays for people to eat off. I don't have 15 plates. I only got an eight-person serving. Well, that would be awkward because some people are going to get big plates, some people are going to get little plates, and then they'll be offended. Oh, see, there's all sorts of stuff that goes into this distraction, isn't there? She is a woman who is busy. She welcomed into her home this group, but now she is busy with all of the many details that goes in to housing this group. And she's a little overwhelmed. Because while all this is going on, her sister is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's not lifting a finger to help. She's not even bringing a chair from the other room for somebody to sit on. She's not even getting some water for people to wash their feet. So what does she do? This busy woman. Well, she does what all of us tend to do, right? When we're overwhelmed, men and women, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, when, when life seems to be crashing down on us on a moment and we feel there is some sort of inequity in the distribution of the work and labor that is going on and we are sensing all the pressure because we're the one who is in charge, we're the one who welcomed, we're the one who, who did this, now all of a sudden there is indeed an inner and an outward turmoil. And she complains. It's interesting to think about where would this story have gone had she not complained? Would Jesus have ever even said anything to her? Would Jesus have ever noted anything? But she complains. She's exasperated with her sister. But no. It's not just her sister. It's Jesus as well. Do you see that? See, don't miss that. Don't, don't miss this in, in what she says. Verse 40. Lord, do you not care? You're the one who could say, Mary, I see Martha in the background. She's really working hard. Don't you think you ought to get up and go help her? Lord, she's at your feet. You tell her. You see how much I've got to do. You understand what's involved in being hospitable. Don't you care? So she complains, not just about Mary. Oh, she's... she's Ticked with Mary. She's probably been muttering under her breath. A few Dutch choice Dutch phrases here or there that come out of her mouth. She's thought about Mary just sitting there. But now she comes to Jesus. 
second point. So if we didn't have the story, if you didn't know the story at this point, and, and I simply presented you with that, perhaps this is the first time you've ever been through this. And I said, so what do you think Jesus did? I'm sure there's probably many of us who would say, well, I'm sure that Jesus would have corrected the situation. He probably would have told Martha, you're absolutely right. You are overwhelmed, girl. Man, you are taking care of so much. You're right. Mary shouldn't be just sitting here at my feet listening to me. Mary, go help your sister. Lazarus, where are you? You, you go out there too. Peter and John, come on. You guys too. Let's go. Let, let's do this together. Let's make this a cooperative effort. Tell you what, I'll stop teaching and, and I'll go help as well. My guess is that's probably the way many modern versions of this story would go. This is the way it would, that people would like to retell the account. But that's not what happens, is it? Because you see, Martha is not only a busy woman, Martha is a corrected woman. We know it's a correction because notice how it starts, but the Lord answered. We know it's not going to go in the direction we, we would assume it's going to go in. The but tells us uh, she's not going to get her way. It's telling us there is a contrast. This is what would be expected, but this is how we would assume Jesus would answer, but Jesus answered her. I want you to note three things about the correction. One, the correction is by the Lord. This, this correction does not come from Pastor Bob. This correction... Does, does not come from, as I heard somebody this week say, by a group of white men who wrote the Bible and they don't have any context at all of understanding anybody else's life. And I'm thinking, well, that's an interesting take on who wrote the Bible, isn't it? But you see, that's kind of the perception. But I want you to see Clearly, that the correction to Martha was by the Lord, by Jesus Christ, by the Son of God, by the suffering Savior, by the great I Am. That's who's going to correct her. That's who's going to tell Martha... The way you're thinking about this and the way you're acting and what you're engaging in at this present moment is wrong. He's going to do it gently. He's going to do it carefully. But he is going to do it. There is a correction that Martha needs. And the correction is coming, not from Peter, not from John, not from Lazarus, not from Mary. The correction is from Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want you to notice that the correction is by a comparison. 
doesn't it gall you sometimes when people use the very person you're angry with to use as their correcting tool for your own way of thinking? See, notice the complaint was, Mary's not doing anything. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't go off and tell a story. He doesn't at this point tell a parable that would make this nice and gentle. He, he, he looks at her and he says, I'm going to correct you, Martha, and I'm going to correct you with the very person you're complaining about. I'm going to compare what you have chosen to do with what Mary has chosen to do. She has chosen the better portion. Mary, rather than the one who Martha thinks needs correcting, is now held up by Jesus as the example to follow. Martha, you're wrong. Mary's doing the right thing. I'm not going to tell her to help you. I'm not going to tell her to busy herself like you're busying yourself. In fact, what I'm going to tell you, Martha, is you need to change. Martha, you need to become like Mary is at this moment. That's who he uses. It's rather interesting because what precedes this account if you're looking at Luke chapter 10, is what? The parable of the Good Samaritan. Where once again, Jesus places in a parable form comparison between individuals. Of those who don't do the right and of those who do the right. And it's kind of interesting that, that in the background, the immediate background that Luke is using to tell us about Martha is the story about three men who are compared as to who is the neighbor. And what's interesting about that account is that account is about serving and it is about busyness. And yet Jesus there uses a comparison of the one who busied himself rather than the one who sat by. There we have people on the sidelines not doing anything. Jesus chides them because they didn't do anything. And he holds up as the example the man who did something. Now, when we have the situation where we have one sitting doing nothing, according to Martha, and one who is busy, Jesus chides the busy one by comparing and saying the other one has done that which is better. She has chosen the good portion. So she's corrected by the Lord, by this comparison, but she's also corrected because Jesus is showing her that there is something greater than the busyness of the activities of her life. That which she has chosen to involve herself in at this moment, at this time, 
at this particular occurrence of life is not a good decision. There is indeed in, in the original an interesting play on words. Because notice what Jesus says. She has chosen the good portion. What do you know, often associate the word portion with? Food. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Martha, 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 you fixed 22 different dishes. All you needed to do was to make one simple dish. We would have been happy. You would have fulfilled your responsibility as being the hostess. But now you see, you busied yourself with making 22 dishes. Now, that, that, that's a subtle play on words that's going on here. Mary has chosen the good portion. But you see, it's much deeper than that, isn't it? She has chosen the good food. What is the good food that Mary has chosen? The words of life. See, Jesus is telling us here to pay attention to the words of life. To pay attention to the truth. And that there are times in life when our paying attention to the truth is more important than the activities of life. Now think about that. I, you, if, if we miss this, we miss the point of why this passage is given to us. Jesus is saying, not that what Martha does is wrong. It's not that she's engaged in wrong activities. But she is engaged in those activities at the wrong time. You know how I know that? Because if you turn to John chapter 12, there's going to be another banquet given. This time the banquet is going to be in honor of Lazarus. Guess who's serving? Martha. Guess who doesn't get corrected? Martha. Why? Because that was the proper time. This was not. She was so overwhelmed and distracted with activities that actually were good activities. Finding chairs for everybody, finding bowls for making all the food. It's not a bad thing. It's not that she's engaged in some sort of sin. But it's not the good portion. It's not the needful thing. All the meals that I can prepare cannot save my soul. All the feet that I can wash cannot save my soul. All the chairs that I can find cannot save my soul. See, this is what Jesus is telling her. That our activities cannot save us. Mary has chosen the one thing needful. What is that? The voice of Jesus. The word of life. The gospel. The truth. 
The one thing needful is to hear Jesus speak. Yeah, Mary, put that aside, would you please? Your, your sister's upset. Stop listening to these words of truth. Stop listening to these words of life. Go get the bread ready. No, Martha. No. She has chosen the better portion. There's a time for your serving. There's a time for the banquet. But it's not now. It's not now. See, there's another aspect of this that we need to understand. Martha is actually being very rude. Martha is actually being very impolite. Oh, not in coming to Jesus and complaining. That wasn't a wise idea either. You see, as the one who was the host, as the one who welcomed them in, it was of particular responsibility to listen, to hear, to pay attention to the honored guest. And she's paying no attention to Christ. Martha, Martha, you're busy. You're preoccupied with so many things. Troubled by them. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion. And I'm not going to take it away from her. So don't be a Martha, be a Mary. That's the way this often ends, right? The problem is we disassociate this passage with another very significant passage. Turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. The context of John chapter 11 is this. Lazarus got sick. Word was sent to Jesus. Jesus delays in coming. Lazarus dies. Soon as Jesus learns that Lazarus has died, Jesus comes. So understand the situation. They sent word, your friend Lazarus is sick. You might want to come. Jesus delays. Nope. I'm sure the disciples are going, why are we not going? Now they get word Lazarus died. Disciples are probably, what's the use of going now? The guy's dead. Oh, Jesus says, now we'll go. What I want you to see is Martha. John chapter 11. Okay, got the context. Go down to verse 20. John 11 verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. Now notice the contrast. 
When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she made herself busy preparing food, finding bowls for washing feet. No. This was a woman who was corrected. But she took the correction to heart. What we have here is a Martha who is a believing woman. She went to Jesus. When she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But, oh, look at the contrast. Mary remained seated. Remember how Mary was so gravitated by the words of Jesus? Jesus is coming. No, I'm sitting here in mourning. Oh, Lazarus, our brother, is dead. Mary, however, says, I'm going to go to Jesus. See, in, in Luke, it's the opposite way. In Luke, Mary's the one who's at the feet of Jesus. Martha's off busying herself with other things. Here, Mary's the one who's off mourning. Martha is the one who heads to Jesus. Now listen to her conversation. So one, she went to Jesus. Two, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now that, that's, that's pretty good faith, right? Knowing that if Jesus had been there, he could have healed Lazarus. But listen to where she goes with this. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What does she mean by that? My brother is dead. If you had been here, you could have healed him. But even now that he's dead, I know if you ask, he'll live. This is a woman of great belief. This is not a woman dealing with the theoretical aspects of Jesus' power and strength and deity. This is a woman who has just led the morning wake for her brother who has been in the grave for three days. This is a woman whose faith meets the realities of life. This is not faith in the pages of a book. This is faith on display in life. She went. She states her faith. But the conversation continues. Jesus says to her, you're right. Your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know. I know that. I know that at the resurrection of the last day, he will rise. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, yet he, shall he live. Though he die, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes! The last time we met this woman, Jesus is saying, your sister has chosen the good portion. What do we find here? That she too has chosen the good portion. 
She hears the words of truth. She says, I believe. Lord, I believe. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. There are two, only two other confessions in the New Testament at, at, in, in the life of Jesus that are as astounding as this. Peter's. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thomas is my Lord and my God. Here, from the mouth of Martha, comes the third ringing testimony. I know that you are the Christ. This is a woman of faith. This is a woman of belief. She was corrected. And we see the evidence that she took that correction to heart. Because you know what the next thing is she does? Well, Lord, my sister isn't here. Notice I came, but my sister is back there at the wake. Shouldn't you correct my sister? After all, see, if you're into comparisons, Jesus, how about comparing me to Martha now? You know what she does? She calls her sister. She goes to Mary and says, the Lord is here. What a heart. The Lord is here. Come. Come. We need to come to Jesus. We need to come to the Lord. Come on, Mary. He is the resurrection and the life. Let's go to the Lord. They meet Jesus at the sepulcher. Jesus says, let's roll the stone away. And, and, and what's interesting is the whole conversation is basically between him and Martha. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before in John chapter 11, but the conversation is between him and Martha. Why? Because of the very first thing we said. Who's the one who's in charge? Martha. Let's roll away the stone. Martha. No, no, no. By this time, Lord, there's a bad odor. Go down to verse 40 of that same chapter. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Then it says, so they took away the stone. What's missing? Who's the one responsible for the stone being there? It's Martha. Okay, you, you, can, you, can, you, you people have been to the cemetery. You know how this goes, right? Okay, a whole people are gathered there, and then somebody makes a suggestion. What happens with those cemetery workers? They all look to the person who's paying the bill. Is this really what you want? <laughs> okay, we're kind of dependent on getting paid by you. So we've heard this suggestion from this fellow who says, take away the stone. And they're looking to Martha going, did he do it? 
you're going to be the one to pay us. Don't want to offend you. So they took away the stone. What does that mean happened? It means that Martha said, roll the stone away. Do what the man said. Now think about it. Put that all together. She went to Jesus. She stated her faith. She calls her sister. She is obedient to Jesus. John chapter 12. The feast. And Martha serves. See, what this whole account is really all about is Jesus trying to say, get your priorities right. There is a time and a place for the work and activity of life. But never let those things crowd me out. Now think of the application to that for you and I. How busy we get with life. How many activities come in. And we crowd Jesus out. We don't have time to read the word. We don't have time for prayer. We don't even have time for church. We got too busy. graduates, those of you going into high school, those of you going into college, all sorts of activities, good things to engage your time. Some of those things are going to rob you of time with Jesus. And so you need to get your priorities right. Some of you are going to be out there in college, new freedom, living in a dorm. Mom and dad aren't going to call you at 8.30 saying, hey, it's time to start getting up and getting ready for church. Oh no, you see, there's all sorts of busyness now. There's all sorts of activities. There's all sorts of things to do. Many of which have nothing to do with Christ. And so the day set aside for the Lord becomes a day of activity. And Jesus says, to you, Martha, Martha, all good things, good activities, but they're taking you away from me. From me. Father in heaven, life can be so busy. There's so many good things to involve ourselves with. We have the freedom to go here, the freedom to go there, the freedom to do this, the freedom to do that. We have money in our wallets that allows us to pay for many of these things. And they're good things. Even things involving church. So many good activities. Father, sometimes they rob us of you. They rob us of your son. Father, we pray for wisdom and discernment for our graduates that we've acknowledged this morning, Lord, that, that they'll set those priorities right. But Father, we pray for each one of us, each of our hearts. That, Lord, we might truly be a Martha 
who having been corrected by you, learn to set the priorities right. Lord, we know we've failed. We know we've come up short. We confess our failures in that regard and we turn to you again. For you are the friend of sinners. In Christ's name, God's people say,